Who loves Legos? If you're not raising your hand, well, I can't call you a liar. That would be wrong and mean. But you need to come over and play with Miles and I with some Legos, because Legos are phenomenal. These are so fun. My goodness. You can build anything you can dream of. It, the, the, the limit to what you can do with the Lego is simply your own imagination. And remember back in the day when Legos were like simple? It was just a big old thing of Legos and just create what you want. But then they started coming out with different plans you can follow, different sets. And they've been doing this for many years and they continue to get more and more complex. Some of those sets are kind of simple. You follow the path. It's like a four-step thing and you have a cool creation. And some uh, are amazing. I think the, they just came out this past year with the biggest ever Lego standalone set. It was the Colosseum in Rome. And I want to say it was just shy of... Uh, 20,000 pieces or something like that. Um, don't quote me on that. Look it up. But it was absurd. And the thing's actually only this big. They, they just had a lot of tiny pieces <laughs> to build. Now, the good news is Legos come with your guide, right? It kind of shows you step-by-step instructions on how to build what you want to build. But have you ever tried to build something without following the guide? This applies to the adult version of Legos, which is playing furniture together. Um, have you ever tried to put a piece of furniture together without following the instructions? Putting furniture together with my dad taught me we do things a little differently. He will look at the picture and say, I know how this goes. And I will say, I will read this manual four times before I start. Well, Miles and I tried to do that this past week, to build a Lego creation by just looking at the picture on the front. And I thought, you know, we thought we were doing pretty good. I mean, it looked a lot like it. It looked pretty amazing. Problem was, anytime we tried to move it or put another piece on, it would start to crumble. Because there were all these tiny little pieces inside, part of that structure that we were missing because we couldn't see it. So it looked okay, but it wasn't strong. And that's why it's so helpful to be able to go off of the guide. You could say to follow the blueprint for what you're trying to build. And if you follow that blueprint, you study it, you pay attention to it, and then you put it into action, you create something both strong and beautiful. And dare I say, fun. The Bible is a lot like Legos. It gives us the building blocks and the blueprint for a vibrant, colorful, strong, and beautiful life. And so we're diving into this book of James for the next five weeks because it provides a helpful blueprint for us on how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. So if we're reading a book called James, uh, it was written by a guy named James. We need to consider who is James anyway? Who's James? Who is this guy? He wrote this densely packed, beautifully written book, so... I think we could imagine, uh, as we read this, James Earl Jones reading it. That would be a good idea. Anyway, James wrote this amazing book. Who was he? He was the brother of Jesus. Now, Mary and Joseph had children after the miracle birth of Jesus, and it's believed that James was the oldest of Jesus' siblings. And we don't have the exact number, but uh, scholars believe that he had around six siblings that were born to Mary and Joseph, with James being the oldest of that bunch. 
Now, anyone with siblings knows the dynamics between a brother and a brother or a brother and sister. James and Jesus knew each other on a level unlike most, okay? I know things about my brother. They know things about me that most other people don't know because we grew up living together. It's an interesting dynamic, an intimate dynamic, and he was Jesus's younger brother and eventual disciple. So he had a very unique perspective on Jesus, his way of life, and his teachings. So I dare say his perspective is one absolutely worth listening to because he had this front row seat for his life. Another thing about this James is uh, he's not the Apostle James. He's not the James we read about as one of the 12 initial followers of Jesus. Uh, That James was the son of Zebedee, and uh, so that's a good distinction for us. But what we do know is this James was a disciple of Jesus. Not much is mentioned about him until actually after his resurrection and ascension. But we read about this James in Acts, and we learn that he was a leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem with a focus on the Jewish uh, Christians of the time. And this James also was a man of many nicknames. Now, I love nicknames because they kind of reveal things about a person, right? Um, And he had a few very common nicknames. The first was James the Just. He stood up for justice, things that were right and sure and true. Another nickname, Oblias, is a Greek word that means bulwark of the people. So he was a strong tower that stood up for the people. And then the best one, old camel knees. (laughs) So that's just such a great nickname, old camel knees. Now, his nickname was old camel knees. According to a second century Christian historian, Hegesippus is that guy's name, uh, because James spent so much time on his knees in prayer to God that his knees were worn and hard like that of a camel. Now, I'm not around camels a lot, so I had no idea what their knees looked like. It turns out they look like this. It's a little hard to see on that screen, but they're, they're gross, okay? <laughs> if you're at home and you see that, like, right on your screen, like, whoa, you're, you're looking away. Uh, it, it's callous. It's hard. But what a beautiful testament to what James must have been like, that he spent so much time on his knees that he had this nickname that stuck, that we know of it all these years later. It reveals that he was the real deal. He walked closely with God, and he spent time with him. So we're diving into this book of James, trusting it as a blueprint on Christian living. And this series is guaranteed to confront us, to challenge us, to encourage us into a deeper commitment if we seek to put our faith into action. So throughout this series, I'm going to give you a couple tools Tools for our toolbox as we, as we uh, explore God's Word together. So this week's tool for your toolbox, it's called Pay Attention to the Gut Punch. I, want, uh, I like to pick on Bob because he sits right in front of me. Sorry, Bob. Bob, imagine you were walking on the street and just some stranger came up and just slugged you in the gut and then ran away. What are you going to do? Are you going to, well, first you can't run after him because you're doubled over. You can't breathe, right? Some of our tendency, if we get punched in the gut, might be, I'm just going to work through this plane and move on through my life. But in actuality, you're probably going to want to figure out why you were punched in the gut, right? Like, what is this dude's motive? Why did this happen to me? When we read the Bible, there are times we get punched in the gut when we read something. And it's like that, oh, feeling. It's that sting of conviction. And our temptation and our tendency 
is to just move past the pain and, okay, forget that, I'm moving on. But just like if we were actually physically punched in the gut, we ought to rest there for a moment and try and figure out why that happened. And so that is our tool today. Pay attention to the gut punch, if there are any throughout our reading of James, because that means perhaps the Holy Spirit is trying to bring your attention to something within the text in that moment. So we're going to pay attention to gut punches together, and we're going to look at chapter 1 in in a few parts, but the beauty is chapter 1 can be broken into two parts. The first part's all about having a trusting faith, trusting that God, through hardship, putting our trust in Him, not being distracted by hardship or the things that sprinkle in this world. And then the second half focuses on how we act in faith. So having a trusting faith and how we act in faith Let's dive into the beginning, James chapter 1. We're going to read the whole thing, um, but in different little sections. Hear the word of the Lord, starting with James 1, 1 through 4. This letter is from James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James sure sounds like just a barrel of laughs. Consider an opportunity for great joy when trouble comes your way. What, James? Really, he's like the eternal optimist, you know. You're on a sinking ship, and he'll say, oh, we'll be rescued any moment. It's fine. It's good. Consider this a joy as we drown. (laughs) And yet, we know what James is getting at here, don't we? Things come easy to us when everything is going well in our lives. But the true test comes when trouble comes our way. It is easy to be kind to someone if we're having a great day. But the test comes when someone treats us unfairly, And we then have to try and still be kind to them right then and there. We know being tested is a chance for growth to increase our faith endurance. This is exactly what we talked about the past couple of weeks for those of you who have tuned in. Being stretched, being pruned, embracing the growth pains for the sake of increased faith endurance and increased fruit. A way we could consider this is in the kingdom of man, trouble often just leads to trouble. Trouble's just no good. It's, it's, it's just, we try and get past the trouble and move on. But with God in the picture, with his refining fire of a Holy Spirit that comes in and guides us through and encourages us and does a work in us, well, in the kingdom of God, trouble may mean opportunity. Opportunity for us to ins- invite the Spirit to work, for us to grow in our endurance, and for the Spirit to produce a bounty of lasting fruit. So in addition to our tools, we're adding to our toolbox. We're also going to accumulate some building blocks of faith. Things that the Bible teaches us that if we take these things and we use them to build our faith, we will build something strong and vibrant and beautiful as we live for Jesus. So this reveals the very first building block of our faith. It is endurance, okay? We endure through trouble. Endure in our faith, trusting God that it will lead to growth. Our first building block is endurance. 
Let's pick up our text from verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Ooh, wow. God is generous, but he desires our faith to be put in him alone. And there's this thing with our Christian walk. We can believe in him while also not relying on him. But God asks us to put all of our faith and our hope and our trust in him. And when we do, he might grant us his practical, caring, divine, Christ-like wisdom if we only ask. And relying on God, it also means trusting his word. It means believing he will hear our prayers. And when we pray, he will answer our prayers. But if our loyalties are divided, we'll be like a wave that is crashing every which way, and we're fully at the mercy of the combating winds as we try and find our way. And with shifting loyalties, we usually just move to the sound of the most convincing argument or the one that we want to believe, even if it's not grounded in truth. We're like that crashing wave moving hither and yon. It is hard to trust God's way is best if we do not give him our full loyalty, if we don't put our faith in him alone. And that is our second building block of today, is loyalty. Call to put our faith and God alone, not being blown about by all the hot air that is out there, but staying on course and faithful to God alone. Let's pick up from verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises, the grass withers, the little flowers droop and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Guys, hear a little bit of Jesus and James's teaching here? You hear echoes of Jesus's teaching? They're very connected here. And this tells us our true wealth, <laughs> we find our true wealth by developing our spiritual lives, not by developing our 401k or financial assets. God cares about us, not so much our earthly treasures. And so we should care not for our earthly treasures, but for God and his everlasting gifts. Because everything we have in this world will fade away. That is a promise, that is a guarantee, it will all fade away. But how we live out our faith in our life has everlasting implications. And that's our third building block. We don't want to live for wealth or status or power. We want to live for the things that last. To live for the kingdom, to store up our treasures in heaven and make a lasting impact. 
And now verses 12 through 18, which will wrap up our first half of this section. And pay attention to this stuff, because this is a beautiful passage. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong. And so he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires, they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. It's just beautiful. God blesses us. He loves us. God doesn't tempt us, but gives us every good and perfect gift. Created us with his very own true word to the point where we became his prized possession. As Paul writes in Ephesians, we become his masterpiece. This is God who created the galaxies, the cosmos. He looks at you, looks at you, says, you are the best thing I've created. You are my prize. And this passage to me is so comforting because after hearing at the very beginning of this book about the trouble we are guaranteed to encounter, here we learn that our trouble, it doesn't come from God because God doles out every good and perfect gift to us. Yeah, there is external trouble that's going to come our way, and then there's the internal temptation from our sinful desires which lead to trouble. But God reserves his anger, his wrath, and his judgment for sin and those who give their loyalties to sin, which leads to death. And so James reminds us, External trouble, internal temptation are not from God. And God is stable. God is sure. He's not like a wave going every which way. He is constant. He does not change. And he created us with his very transforming, life-bringing word. His transforming, life-bringing word that we read now as we keep on the path towards him. When God speaks, he creates. When God speaks, he transforms. And he delights in his creation to the point of calling us his prized possession. And so we have another building block. Because of all of that, we can have a trusting faith. A faith that believes his word, that when we read it, that this is true. This is who he is, and this is who we are. And we trust that he will not 
lead us astray. He will guide us and bless us, and he will strengthen us. And because of God's enduring and all-loving faithfulness, as we seek to believe his word and we hold on to a trusting faith, we feel called to respond. And so if the first half is all about having a trusting faith, the second half of James 1 is all about how we act in faith, how we can respond in faith. So let's see what this says about acting in faith, bringing it home with 19 through 27. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says— and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion and the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's not enough to simply know scripture or godly teaching. In fact, you could deduce from reading this that knowledge alone is useless. And it's even worse than useless for the person who thinks that knowing the Bible makes one godly is self-deceived. It's like reading up about brain surgery and believing I'm a brain surgeon. I don't think you'd want me to cut you open. (laughs) See, it's all about obeying the teaching that makes one Christ-like. It's living it out. It's living out our faith. It's putting it into action day in, day out, trying our very best to follow God's path and plan and blueprint for our lives. See, living out our faith, it doesn't mean we daily do these enormous, amazing, grand gesture type of things. There are days that happens. But generally, a life of faith is small steps of continued faithfulness in the same direction. And when we go off track, we get pulled back in. Small steps of continued faithfulness in the same direction. Just look in this little section of this chapter of all the building blocks mentioned here. We're to be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger, to receive, to hear God's word. That means we're opening ourselves up to his word through reading, through prayer, but also to do God's word, to put it into action, to control our tongue, 
watch what we say. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. To care for others, those with less than us, those who are hurting, the orphan, the widow. To seek holiness. To refuse to let the world corrupt you. To fight temptation and sin at every corner. To repent quickly and to get back to work. And small block by block by block, built on the solid rock of Christ, it all adds up to a life of lived-out faithfulness that is all for the architect of the universe, our God, the one true God. We could coast through life. We could accumulate knowledge. We could read about him and not put it into action. And we could just try and make our own way through this life, choosing our, not to follow the blueprint, choosing to try and go our own way and accept the knowledge we have of God and never put it into practice. But what we will find if we do that is a weak shell of a life that is blown about every which way by the waves of this world. But if we get this right, if we dedicate ourselves to seeking to live faithfully by acting out our faith, to daily take small faithful step after faithful step, we will find that God's word will set us free. He will bless us abundantly for our faithfulness, and we will live a life of meaning, of purpose, of significance, with a legacy for others to follow. So our question today is, having heard and received God's transforming word, how will you live it out? Right here and now, how will you live it out? Because that's what James is telling us. It's not enough to hear and receive it. We must do. We must act. So how do we feel called to follow God's blueprint? What important, crucial step has maybe been missing or lacking lately? What building block has been missing for you? How will you take this knowledge that you've learned and, 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 and put it into action? How will we live it out? That is, in fact, the whole purpose of a blueprint. It's not just to look at a pretty picture. It's to take what you see and make it reality. So we have the list here. It might be a little small on the screen. That's just from one chapter. And honestly, there's probably a few in there I didn't even jot down. It's from one chapter of God's Bible. This is a big book, true book. (laughs) It can be overwhelming if we look at that all and say, oh my goodness, I have a lot of work ahead of me. But the beauty of a blueprint is it's broken into small tangible pieces. Small little bite-sized pieces. So my encouragement is this week, right here and now, choose one. One of these or another one that's speaking to you, something that hits you in the gut, and then this week, starting today, go to work. Faithfully seek after it. And if you do this, every single day with intention, as you prayerfully on your old camel knees come to God, seeking him to be gracious to you and to guide you, and you set your mind one building block of faith at a time, God will bless you your efforts. He will bless your faithfulness, and he will guide you. He will show you the next step, and piece by piece, you will grow stronger. You will grow taller. You will point towards the one 
who calls you his very prized possession. We have the blueprint. We have the blueprint. It is time to build our faith and build the kingdom. So let's all go to work. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? God, you are the grand architect of this universe and everything in it. You have pieced everything together and you hold it all together in your love and your mercy and your power. And you have created us and you look at us and you say, yeah, with you, I am very well pleased. What I see is very good. And God, you desire nothing more than for us to be free from the binds and the chains of sin and evil in this world. And when we proclaim you Lord of our lives, and we mean it, God, you free us from those shackles. And yet, because we are on this side of heaven, because you have not come back yet to fully finish your good work and the assured victory that's already uh, promised in your word, we live as we wrestle with sin but you don't leave us alone. You give us your spirit. You guide us forward. You give us the blueprint on how to step forward in faith, how to step forward in our purpose for your kingdom cause, Lord, to bring you glory and to bring us freedom. So we give you, give us, we give you thanks, Lord, for that, for our holy calling. And we pray, Lord, that we might build up our faith today. Even now, Lord, speak to us through the nudging of your Holy Spirit Reveal to us that thing to work on. And may we go to work, Lord. May we go to work so that each of us individually will continue to build on our life of faith. And that together as a church, our faithfulness will build and create something pleasing and honoring and pointing to you. As the different voices and influences of the world try to crash us about like a wave, Lord, we pray that we stay focused on you and you alone as our true north, as our source of truth, and our guidance for how to live and to love and to lead in this world. May it be so in the power and authority of Jesus' name. Amen.